3: Welcome to Season 3, Episode 17 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is Part 2 of a two-part story. Please listen to Season 3, Episode 16 for more details on this case. Listener caution is advised as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. After Robert Allen's abduction and torture, the theft of ammunition and grenades from a barracks in Kent, a drugs bust of nearly three quarters of a million pounds and a shooting at a family home police would bring down one of the most sophisticated and brutal crime gangs Scotland has ever seen. On the morning of January 16th, 2017, only four days before Gerard Doherty's arrest for the attempted murder of Robert Kelby, 35-year-old Ross Monaghan was dropping off his children at St George's Primary School in Penalee a housing estate on the edge of southwest Glasgow. Shortly after, 9am, a loud gunshot rang out. Distraught parents who had just dropped off their children at school scattered in every direction. Police and an ambulance rushed to the scene. Witness Mohammed Alem Falani spoke to the Daily Record and explained that it was his children's first day at a new school. He saw two men running towards the scene, one armed with a black gun.
2: Just explain to my kids, this is the first day in the school, and this is a new school for you, and be careful, just I'm still explaining to them. After that, I noticed that uh, two uh, guys running, someone who carried a gun, the black gun, and is in this size, I thought they are playing, or it's jokey, or I don't know, I'm still in the car, and um. That's the guy who carried the gun. He goes inside the fence, and uh, he shoot. That's the first guy. When he shoots, in this situation, I know that is real gun. It's no fake, I mean. After that, the guy who's uh, carried the gun, he's run away to the corner, and he has a buggy. He put the gun in the buggy, and he pushed the buggy. After all, the guy in the school i saw i mean i saw more ladies is crying what's happened and the ladies told me that the guy who carried the gun he shoot another guy after that i took my kids i told the head teacher this is the first day for them and she gave it to me a paper to fill the paper for them and i told them i can't believe my kids is here and explain to my kids this is a just a jockey playing his sport, something like that. I took my kids and go away.
3: A passer-by also heard gunshots.
2: I heard a big
0: bang. I thought it was an air rifle going off and the kids were asking what happened and I was just saying, just hurry up because it was so loud, we were late. That was, I don't know what it was. I seen the kids that were further round towards the school, they all kind of jumped, but then they kept walking. And then that's when I turned the other way, so I don't know. Everybody in here, you know everybody, so I'm really, really shocked that this has happened here. It's horrible. I hope none of the kids seen it. I'm
2: really shocked by it.
3: Despite the large volume of officers present at the scene, along with a police helicopter hovering overhead, the staff at the school were told this was an isolated incident. It was agreed lessons would continue as usual, in spite of parents frantically requesting their children be removed from school, a police spokesperson was later interviewed by a reporter for the Daily Record and spoke about their lines of inquiry.
2: Well, CCTV is always a primary inquiry uh, in this day and age when there's loads of CCTV on streets, on buses, uh, even people have cameras in their cars nowadays, so we're looking at every opportunity to try and seize footage of the man with the bram. The description really is a woolly, uh, it's almost steel like tammy with a a bobble on it and a matching scarf. It's a woollen scarf.
3: Police released a description of the gunman who was wearing a dark woollen bobble hat, a woollen scarf which covered his face, a blue padded jacket and blue jeans. A parent at the school who had noticed a male outside the gates decided to film him as he had been spotted near the premises three days before the attack. The witness, a father who didn't wish to be identified, said to the press that the man was acting suspiciously, pushing an empty pram wearing heavy winter clothing, even though it wasn't cold. The gunman kept checking the hood of the pram. As soon as he saw Ross Monaghan, he pulled a firearm from the seat of the buggy and headed towards him. Monaghan spoke to a group of parents at the school, then walked to his car. He realised that a gunman was approaching him. Calling the shooter a fucking pussy, he dodged out of the line of fire moving in a zigzag motion, almost getting away, before being hit in the back by a bullet. The other parents watched on in horror. The gunman was believed to have been picked up by a driver after the incident, which was far from a random attack. Ross Monaghan was known to police, as in 2012 he was cleared of the shooting of Kevin Carroll, otherwise known as Gerbil, who worked as an enforcer for the Daniels crime family, the Scottish crime gang who had a decade-long feud with another Scottish criminal group, the Lions. Bizarrely, Kevin the Gerbil was a nickname Kevin Carroll obtained when he was younger, taken from a puppet on the TV series Roland Rat*. However, the family-friendly Kevin the Gerbil was worlds apart from Kevin the Gerbil Carroll's explosive personality and fearsome reputation. He made vast amounts of money in Glasgow's lucrative drug trade. If he were ever crossed, he would utilise a blowtorch and boiling water to torture his victims before stealing any money, drugs or weapons they might have in their possession. The victims of this gang were more often than not drug dealers from rival crime groups. They would be kidnapped at gunpoint, then a bag was thrown over their heads. They would be taken to a disused building where they were tortured and then later released. Across central Scotland, these incidents came to be known as the alien abductions, as the victims could recall little of their experience, either due to the extensive trauma they had just been through, or they were too afraid to speak up. An undercover police officer spoke to the press about Kevin Carroll in 2012.
2: He was a psychopath,
3: for want of a better word. Um, He had no uh, human thought of what he was doing. This guy was an absolute out-and-out animal in what he'd done to other people. The police are doing a fantastic job fighting crime, but unfortunately we're now dealing with people who have got no morals. Uh, They will go out and shoot somebody in a public car
2: park. They will get rid of the evidence within 20 minutes. The, the, The evidence they have put forward is the best evidence they can get because nobody will come forward and speak up.
3: Kevin Carroll had been shot twice and survived. He was charged with attempted murder in 2004, but the case collapsed. Six years on in January 2010, Kevin Carroll was again shot in the car park of an Asda supermarket as he sat trapped in the back of a black Audi after the child locks had been activated.
0: Kevin Carroll was lured to a meeting at the Asda Robroyson store. He was in the back seat of a car. Minutes later, another car screeched to a halt, blocking in Carol's car. Two masked gunmen jumped out. Carol's two associates ran for safety, locking the door behind them and effectively trapping him. As Asda shoppers ran back into the store for safety, the gunmen were firing 13 shots into the back of Carol's car, killing him with bullets to the head and chest. It took them only 25 seconds, then they fled.
3: Ross Monaghan, who allegedly had links to the Lions crime gang, was charged with Kevin Carroll's murder, however he was later acquitted as the judge ruled there was insufficient evidence for a conviction. Monaghan's mobile phone was at home, 20 miles away from the scene during the time of the shooting. Evidence which linked him to the crime was a particle of firearm discharge found on a jacket at his home, Officers who processed the scene had been at a gun training exercise earlier in the day and hadn't changed their clothing. It was concluded a particle could have easily moved through secondary transfer as the officer's clothing was covered in discharge residue. Also a minute amount, one tenth of a billionth of a gram of his DNA was found on the handle of one of the guns used in the shooting. DNA from a lab technician who never processed the item of evidence and worked three floors above where the gun was being stored was also found on the weapon, along with DNA from three unidentified men. The day after the shooting, during January 2017 at St George's Primary School in Lee, police began reviewing CCTV footage in the area and ramped up their search for the pram being pushed by the gunman. The gun was said to have been thrown into the buggy before the gunman fled the scene. Detective Chief Inspector John Kennedy, who was working the case, appealed to the public and stated, It's possible the suspect made off in a vehicle, and I'm asking people in the surrounding areas to think back and consider if they noticed anything unusual or suspicious. Did you see the man with the buggy? Did you see him get into a vehicle? Any small detail could prove significant to our inquiries, so please do pass it on. Forensic officers combed through the nearby grassland for any evidence the gunman may have left behind. They found one shell casing. After the shooting, Ross Monaghan was treated for a wound to his shoulder, but was discharged from hospital only five hours later. He was struck by a 9mm bullet which pierced his shoulder, but went straight out the other side of his body. It was reported that following the attack, he drove himself to the hospital. Ross Monaghan later left the country while the investigation continued. On January 18th, forensic officers working the scene found a stray bullet lodged in a tree near the school gates and continued with door-to-door inquiries in the hope someone may have seen something. By January 31st, a £5,000 reward was offered by Crime Stoppers for any information leading to a conviction. The Scottish National Manager for the independent charity that allows people to anonymously report a crime said, The parents of the school children and the nearby Penleigh estate have a right to feel safe, especially when they are dropping off children in front of the school gates. We are now offering a substantial reward for information given to Crime Stoppers and urge local people or anyone who is in the know to please pick up the phone or log on to our website and pass on information in complete anonymity. Operation Textual was formed to find the shooter, but it wasn't until towards the end of April 2017 that some charges were filed. In August, it was reported that two men would stand trial for the attempted murder of Ross Monaghan. One of these men was Martin Fitzsimmons, who had previously received a 12-year sentence in October 2008. He had been found guilty of stealing ammunition and grenades from a barracks in Kent. The second man was Mark Richardson, who was also being accused of orchestrating the attempted murder of Robert Kelby in a shooting at his home during September 2016. By the end of November, both Mark Richardson and Martin Fitzsimmons still denied they were involved in the shooting of Ross Monaghan.
1: That's plushcare.com slash loss plushcare.com slash loss
3: This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Sentair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Sentair comes in. Scent Air diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Scent Air app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Scent Air's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families in Ecovat is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. To tackle the escalating violence in Scotland, police had been working separate major investigations into organised crime. These included Operation Drake in... Operation Pembridge and Operation Textual, but after it was realised that these were all connected, Operation Escalade was born. The Organised Crime and Counter-Terrorism Unit began to monitor a number of individuals they believe were taking part in organised crime. Through the undercover operation, both property and vehicles owned by the gang members were being watched. During January 2017, a breakthrough came, Officers had been monitoring a silver Toyota Yaris. During their surveillance activities, they now had enough evidence to arrest three men they believe were involved in criminal activities linked to the trafficking of drugs and firearms. They were Anthony Woods, Francis Mulligan and Michael Bowman. With the arrest underway, officers noticed a recovery vehicle appear and attempts were made to pull the Toyota Yaris onto the bed of the truck. Among the group of men attempting to tow the vehicle away was Mark Richardson. Richardson, who had been sentenced to nearly seven years behind bars for being concerned with the distribution of cocaine, had since been released, but was wanted on a warrant as part of an organised crime investigation. He was arrested. Amongst his possessions were the keys to the Toyota Yaris, along with a fob attached to the keychain. Upon further examination, officers noticed a corresponding device in one of the rear lights of the vehicle. Once the device was activated, a metal plate appeared, supported by a hydraulic ram in the boot of the car. It revealed a holster containing a 9mm Glock 17 handgun loaded with 15 bullets. The extremely sophisticated contraption was like something out of a James Bond film and would never have been spotted in such an unassuming car. The gun was tested for DNA, which matched Mark Richardson. The firearm was found more by luck than by design, but it would create a chain reaction that would bring one of Scotland's biggest criminal networks to its knees. Only a week later, further surveillance took place. Several sets of car keys were obtained at an industrial unit in Croftfoot, Glasgow, and strangely, one of the sets of keys was labelled Annie. Another unit in Cambuslang Slang was also inspected. This would lead police to a workshop where the modifications to the Toyota took place. After tracing the registered address of the vehicle, this led police to an industrial unit in Annisland, a district in Glasgow's West End. As officers inspected the units on the lot, most of which had fallen into disrepair, one stood out as a new reinforced door had recently been installed and was secured by two heavy-duty padlocks. Once inside, the officers discovered 11 firearms which had been meticulously packaged away, and included Glock pistols, a Beretta and submachine guns, along with an M75 hand grenade. The units had been rented under a false name, and paid for in cash. A fleet of cars, including Audis and BMWs, were discovered, all of which had been modified to allow firearms or drugs to be placed in either the rear lighting or in a hidden compartment on the floor of the boot where you would expect to find a spare tyre. The firearms or drugs were usually wrapped in cellophane and duct tape, then clearly labelled. To the unsuspecting eye, the cars would be indistinguishable from any standard car on the road. Along with the false details they used to hire premises for their workshop, The gang was so bold they even successfully applied for a business rebate from the government. Yet more ingenuity was used to transport the large volumes of cash. They constructed devices which utilised industrial strength springs to tightly wrap cash, making it smaller and more compact for easy transportation. When going about their business, the gang would disguise themselves in British telecom uniforms or post office attire, possibly to intercept mail. They even went so far as to wear false beards and wigs to disguise their appearance if they were captured on CCTV. Customised vehicles were left in specific areas of Scotland, so if the gang ran into any trouble, they had a means of escape. The firearms discovered in the industrial unit in Anisland were tested for DNA. Amongst the weapons was a Beretta 9000 fitted with a silencer, a sample was found on the firearm the match Robert Allen, the man that had been abducted from his home in Barnsley, taken to East Kilbride Bride and then shot. David Sell was currently in police custody in connection with the incident. Police also discovered that David Sell had made trips abroad to South America to source high-quality cocaine from drug cartels and was hands-on with how the cocaine was concealed and packaged. An associate of his, Barry O'Neill, he was also in custody on drugs-related charges that facilitated the drugs transaction with Robert Allen. The counter-terrorism unit discovered Martin Fitzsimmons was the gang's ballistic expert as he had been taught covert operation skills in the army. He too was also arrested. Amongst the hall found in the industrial unit and hidden in secret compartments in the customised vehicles was over 1,000 items of evidence, which included cutting-edge counter-surveillance equipment used by the army and police. With the equipment that gang could do technical sweeps of their property and vehicles, which would highlight to them if they are under surveillance, they could also jam any signals, 3G, 4G and Wi-Fi, or within a 100-metre radius. The Scottish Counter-Terrorism Unit worked with both the Drug Enforcement Administration and the Federal Bureau of Investigation who helped provide surveillance on the streets of South America as the gang was sourcing cocaine from other crime syndicates on the opposite side of the world. They were bringing in around a ton of cocaine each year, enough to make them £2 million a week. While prosecutors worked to bring them to justice, they continued to work with other international agencies to find the gang sources in South America. During August 2017, nine men appeared in the dock of the High Court in Glasgow, charged with multiple allegations which included three shootings, the supply of cocaine, possession of weapons along with charges relating to the Proceeds of Crime Act, which accounted for £1.3 million. In the preliminary hearing, the nine men pleaded not guilty to a total of 28 offences said to have taken place across Scotland and the north of England between December 2011 and the start of 2017. Judge Lord Beckett set a trial date for the end of November and security at the High Court was ramped up, with helicopters heard overhead, armed police officers patrolling the halls, and metal detectors were fitted to the entrance of the courtroom.
2: The nine strong gang arrived at court today amid high security and armed police. The court heard of their gun running, drug dealing and use of serious violence in their industrial scale criminal enterprise. A year long police surveillance operation led to this moment. An array of weaponry seized from lockups across the central belt Police also found high-tech anti-surveillance equipment used to jam mobile phone signals, ensuring privacy to discuss their business.
3: On December 6th, a gang of nine men were due to stand trial in a case that was expected to last three months. But after pre-trial hearings, they pleaded guilty to a number of reduced charges, which the prosecutor accepted. Mark Richardson pleaded guilty to possessing a Glock handgun. Martin Fitzsimmons pleaded guilty to possessing a Glock handgun, ammunition and hiding around £35,000 obtained through criminal means. Both Mark Richardson and Martin Fitzsimmons pleaded not guilty to being involved in the shooting of Ross Monaghan. This was accepted by the prosecutor. The gunman has still not been identified. David Searle admitted to the abduction and torture of Robert Allen. Barry O'Neill admitted to supplying cocaine. Francis Mulligan, Anthony Woods and Michael Bowman accepted their roles in serious organised crime. Another member of the gang, Stephen McArdle, admitted possessing a firearm. While on the run, just before his arrest, he had driven a getaway car into a police vehicle. Gerard Doherty confessed to discharging a weapon at Robert Kelby's home during September 2016. Judge Lord Beckett remanded the nine men into custody while the case was adjourned until later in the month. Graham Pearson, the former head of the Scottish Crime and Drug Enforcement Agency, spoke to the press about the disguises the gang used and their approaches to not get caught. He said members of organised crime groups seek to make identification difficult, and elude CCTV using various disguises. Some folk might think it's a bit Inspector Clouseau, but if a video is recovered and it's a bearded man who appears and the suspect is not bearded, it's great evidence for a defence to overturn a possible conviction. This paraphernalia reflects the commitment of these people. They realise police have their own technologies and strategies, so they have done their homework on how to disrupt and resist that kind of identification. With every trial that occurs at the High Court in Scotland, there are people sitting in the public benches on behalf of organised crime to learn the lessons in terms of how convictions are achieved. They then go away and, just like a board of directors, discuss what they learned from that trial and how police monitor phones and do surveillance, and work out from that how they can resist it in future. The huge professionalism of the officers involved in this investigation resulted in these men being arrested. It's dangerous work, but they achieved a huge outcome in getting these people to plead guilty to anything. A further application was put forward for the nine men to face serious crime prevention orders, a first for a Scottish High Court, which would place restrictions on their location, what bank accounts they use, any method of communication, i.e. a mobile phone, and who they associate with. These orders have been available to prosecutors to issue since March 2016 and are designed to hinder an offender's chances to take part in further criminal activity when they are released from jail. To breach these conditions is a criminal offence and the members of the gang could face an unlimited fine and up to five years in prison. The orders have also been compared by some to the sex offender register as the restrictions can be placed on an individual for life. Detective Chief Superintendent Jerry McLean, who heads up Scotland's Organised Crime and Counter-Terrorism Unit, stated, The nine men were involved in the most serious criminal activity, including firearms, drug dealing and extreme violence. We welcome that they have been brought to justice and admitted their involvement in the face of a wealth of evidence. I want to reassure people that we will continue to disrupt anyone involved in serious organised crime, shutting down their illegal businesses and locking up those responsible. I want to pay tribute to the officers whose professionalism and tireless efforts helped bring these nine dangerous men to justice. When the nine men appeared at the High Court in Glasgow, an outline of how they went about their business was summarised to the judge by prosecutor Alex Prentice, QC. He said their operation centres on the importation of vast quantities of cocaine. Their role is as wholesalers to other organised crime groups. They are at the top of the chain in terms of drugs transactions in Scotland and the UK as a whole. The firepower at the disposal of this crime group is unprecedented in terms of the history of organised crime in Scotland. On January 22, 2018, Lord Beckett handed down his sentence. He said, This case arose from four police operations in which officers of Police Scotland displayed extraordinary ingenuity, courage and commitment. Viewing matters globally, there can be no doubt that the police uncovered the workings of sophisticated, serious and organised crime, but I cannot be distracted by considerations which stray beyond the terms of the charges to which you plead guilty. I sentence each of you on the basis of the charge or charges to which you plead guilty and in the terms in which you did so. For his admission to the possession of a Glock handgun on which his DNA was found, Mark Richardson was sentenced to eight years and nine months after time served. Martin Fitzsimmons admitted to possessing a Glock handgun, ammunition and concealing around £35,000 made through criminal means. He received ten and a half years. After pleading guilty to the abduction and torture of Robert Allen, David Sell was sentenced to 15 years and 8 months, backdated to December 2015. Further details of the abduction were relayed to the court as the nine men laughed and gestured to the public gallery. David Sell turned up at Robert Allen's front door with two armed men. Allen had purchased drugs facilitated by Barry O'Neill, but complained about their quality. It was believed the drugs were worth £45,000. The buyer was offered to return the drugs he hadn't sold, but would have to pay back £30,000. Instead, he fled to Barnsley before being discovered. His arms and legs were bound before he was told, it's not about the money, it's about the fucking principle. Robert Allen was driven to a desolate industrial unit in Midlothian, where he was brutally beaten before being taken to Eastkill Bride. Addressing David cell, the judge said, You were not the person who physically inflicted the worst acts of violence on Robert Allen, but you facilitated them and went along with them. To the extent that you have pled guilty, you have accepted joint criminal responsibility for everything which falls within the terms of your plea. For his involvement in the distribution of cocaine, Barry O'Neill received seven years, four months. The judge said, You were in a position to be supplying two kilograms of cocaine to another dealer and the means by which you did so were notably sophisticated. You gave him access to a car in which the drugs were secreted in a concealed compartment. You knew where the drugs were hidden and offered advice on how to access them. Michael Bowman, Francis Mulligan and Anthony Woods admitted to their involvement in organised crime. The judge addressed Woods and said you along with Mr Mulligan and Mr Bowman have accepted responsibility for organising premises, vehicles, disguises, false identities and the creation of concealed spaces in premises and vehicles all for the purpose of facilitating the commission of serious and organised crime on a grand scale. Bowman received 7 years, Mulligan 8 years 324 days and Woods 11 years 1 month. For pleading guilty to culpably and recklessly discharging a firearm into a dwelling, Gerard Doherty received ten years, six months. The judge addressed Doherty and said, You were armed with what seems likely to have been a Scorpion submachine gun. You lay in wait in a secluded position in a neighbouring garden for over an hour. Within the house were two young children, albeit they were not within the conservatory at which you shot twice. However, an adult, Robert Kelby, was within the conservatory. You have accepted that what you did was to the danger of the lives of the inhabitants, and that must particularly apply to Mr. Kelby. You made your escape using two getaway cars. The circumstances are redolent of a high degree of planning and premeditation, and you have accepted that you carried out this crime for payment. Stephen McArdle admitted to possessing a Glock pistol, and was sentenced to seven years, 100 days. Commending the work done by the police force, Scotland's Justice Secretary at the time, Michael Matheson, said this was one of the most sophisticated organised crime groups ever encountered by police and prosecutors. The reason that these men are now behind bars is that they were defeated by a highly sophisticated law enforcement response, combining the expertise, partnership working and state-of-the-art facilities of the Scottish Crime Campus. Detective Chief Superintendent Gerry McLean was interviewed following the sentencing.
2: So I've said this group probably posed one of the greatest threats to, to
3: Scotland. Um, they were absolutely at the top of their game. They would intimidate and bully other crime groups as we've seen through the acts of violence. Um, and it did cause us to refine our tactics in terms of how we targeted them. I've said before that it was like one covert organisation investigating another covert organisation. They use a range of commercially available technical capability um, and we had to adapt to our methods to to, to accommodate that. After sentencing, a further hearing took place to discuss the serious crime prevention orders that the gang were to face on their release. As the orders were being discussed, the advocate for Barry O'Neill stated she had some concerns regarding the adoption of these procedures. Mari Richards QC claimed that when her client is released, due to the limitations of his order, he could not sit and play an online games console with his children. Barry O'Neill believed this would have a significant impact on his family. Judge Lord Beckett encouraged Barry O'Neill's representative to discuss the matter with the prosecution. So where are we now? An application was made by three members of the gang to have their jail terms reduced. During a hearing at the Court of Criminal Appeal in Edinburgh in June 2018, it was argued that Lord Beckett, who sentenced the men, did not follow the proper legal guidance. Anthony Wood's lawyer, Gordon Jackson QC, successfully argued that the judge did not properly apply the law when sentencing his client. The appeal judges agreed and Anthony Wood's sentence of 11 years and one month was reduced by 28 months. Keith Stewart QC acting on behalf of Michael Bowman informed the appeal court that his client told the prosecution that he intended to plead guilty after he was arrested. Keith Stewart highlighted that the law states a significant discount should be applied to a sentence for offenders who intend to plead guilty. The appeal judges also agreed with this submission and Michael Bowman's seven-year sentence was reduced by six months. As part of his sentence, Barry O'Neill was handed a court order which banned him from leaving the UK after the first six months of his release from prison. This decision was successfully overturned, but his sentence of seven years and four months for being concerned with the supply of cocaine was not reduced. Despite his advocate Claire Mitchell stating her belief that the sentence did not consider Barry O'Neill's previous criminal history, this submission was dismissed by the appeal judges. It had only been four months since the gang had been sentenced when Martin Fitzsimmons was brutally attacked in Lomos Prison near Glasgow during April 2018. He needed emergency treatment so was rushed to Glasgow's Royal Infirmary to address injuries to his face and neck which were described as some of the worst the prison had ever seen. While the Scottish Prison Service would not comment on individual prisoners, a spokesperson for the Scottish Police Force confirmed an attack and stated, Around 10.30am on Thursday April 12, police were called to reports of a serious assault on a 37-year-old male at HMP Lomos." The man was taken to hospital for treatment, and inquiries are ongoing. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com
0: Barry, how are you? Let me ask you this. Do you like to hear stories of murder, deceit and unbelievable true crime? If you do, then you want Extraordinary Stories Podcast. This girl here will be dead by 6pm. I will blow her head off. You cannot terrorise me. Anymore? Do you want to hear stories of incredible human survival? Stories of some of the most inspiring people who have ever lived. I think she did what any of us would do in that moment. She played dead. She lay there and she pretended to have died. That was what saved her. If you want stories of sex, death, murder, survival and real human stories told with humour but also respect, then you want Extraordinary Stories podcast. Imagine turning up to your own funeral in a wig. (laughs) Listen to Extraordinary Stories stories podcast told by a scottish man in a thick scottish accent get it on itunes spotify anywhere that you listen to podcasts okay goodbye
1: let's get it on let's do it let's get it over
2: planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen